0: Hello and welcome to the Stay and Thrive podcast. We're exploring what it's like to come from another country and work in the UK's National Health Service. My name is Katie MacDonald and I'm a Fellow for International Retention in the NHS. If you're an internationally educated healthcare professional or you work with people outside of the UK and that's pretty much all of us, then this is for you. We're focusing on how we can all make sure everyone is truly able to stay and thrive. This time, we're looking at communication, and especially communication across different cultures. How do we make sure we're really understanding the people around us? Language is obviously important here, but communication isn't just about words. It can be about our attitude, our tone of voice, or our body language. Different cultures have different versions of the right way to interact. How do we make sure we know enough about someone else's culture so that we don't interpret what they're doing or saying by our own rules? To try and answer some of these questions, I'm joined by two people who have first hand knowledge of these issues. May Parsons is an Associate Chief Nurse Director for Risk Compliance and Governance in Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust, and her current role focuses on risk assessment for her trust and ensuring the right systems are in place to provide the highest standards of care. Hi May. Hi Katie. Then we have Ifi Adjubayo. Ify's a senior project nurse focused on professional development. She's based in Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust and her job is about the training, development and pastoral support of nurses, midwives and AHPs within the organisation. She's also the link nurse for international nurses in her team. Hi, Ifi.
1: Hi, Katie.
0: So, May, so you're from the Philippines. What's been your initial experiences in communicating professionally and in life in the UK? My first
2: experiences, that would have been nearly 20 years ago now. Obviously, in the Philippines, the way we communicate and the way we were taught English is all very Americanized. So the mode of uh, instruction is all American English. So obviously, when I came over in 2003, it was a shock to the system where people, you know, you're versed in, in the English language, but People in the UK still use different colloquialisms, different terms, different slang words, and it felt so unfamiliar. So when I first came over, everybody spoke so quick. They were using like tap instead of faucet, rubbish instead of garbage, you know, things like that. So we were just like, oh my God. So it was definitely a time to kind of get used to not just the language itself and and the way that it was used, but also the, the slang words and the way that people speak with the accent. And I think it probably took me around, I would say, maybe six months to a year to actually get used to it. It was definitely a huge and a very steep learning curve to actually do that. And also the way that people kind of call you like love or hun or pet in the Philippines you never call anybody like that unless you're really in love with them so he <laughs> I mean, just like but you've just met me you called me love so you know that kind of thing so it's it was definitely a shock to the system
0: so I guess what you're saying is that you you knew English you were used to listening to English speaking English but actually coming to the UK and then the version of English that the locals were speaking around you was really different
2: it was really different and it was really tough because I think you want to be able to communicate what you kind of feel at that moment in time and to be able to to say oh this is what I need what do you need from me and also in the nursing profession that's kind of the fabric of our being is to actually get to know our patients be able to serve and you know give them what they need and at that moment in time and and that is such an integral part of our role and then you also think about all the other worries that you have you know landing in the first few few days and trying to find your feet and being homesick and with all those uncertainties in your mind as well it just makes it a little bit more well quite difficult.
0: Yeah and I know that you've spoken previously about that you had good English but sometimes it was how you were speaking or the way things were being said that people were picking up on. Mm -hmm. What kind of things was it that people were commenting on? Things like, say for example, when I use
2: words, I'm not quite concise, and people would pick up on the way that I talk, and sometimes you get those signals. And it's not just distracting, it's demeaning. Because I think they, they place your value as a person, your ability to perform the job that you're tasked to do, based on how you speak and I think that's wrong it undermines your capacity and your capability it doesn't make you feel like you want to express yourself it definitely hinders the the sharing the communicating
0: and then and flourishing and, and individuality. It's so important isn't it because language is so closely linked to identity and you portray who you are as a person through the way you communicate and I guess it's what you're saying that perhaps you felt judged in terms of yes. the way. You Absolutely Yeah.
2: and I've kind of tried to be as authentic to myself as I could be. I am married to an English man, I've got two beautiful children. I speak English every day. So my tone, my accent, the way they speak is all because of who I am as a person that's built on my family, my work, my colleagues, and also my patients. I have to be able to communicate to them because that is integral to my role. But it does put you in a position where people will judge you based on how you talk, based on the words that you use. But at the end of the day, I talk the way that I feel that I can express
0: myself in the most authentic, May way. (laughs) And that's what we want for all international colleagues. If you work with internationally educated colleagues all the time and you yourself are from Nigeria, although Nigeria is an English-speaking country, what do you hear in terms of when you're speaking to international colleagues? Do you hear stories like May's all the time? Yeah, so I think
1: for me, what I have come to see, you know, is the ability to use English to carry the culture. A typical example is how we use tea, you know, in the <laughs> English culture. If if somebody comes from Nigeria, for example, you, if you if you ask them for a copper or you say to them, um, what are you having for tea? They'll be clueless because tea to them is just a cup of tea and that's it. And so that's, yeah, that's where it becomes a problem for international colleagues using it to carry the culture. I remember that when I was new in the country, uh, of course, Yorkshire having its own peculiar accent. (laughs) um, A lot of people used to say to me, ta. And I noticed that people would say that after I've done something and I thought to myself, it's probably thank you being abbreviated, but I wasn't sure. So I decided to ask, what does ta really mean? <laughs> and and yes, it was thank you. But I guess the issue is this. There are two things for me. The first thing being that as somebody who's new and who is having to, to navigate the culture and all of that, there's a lot for you to learn. Sometimes, though, people often are unaware of the fact that international nurses are transitioning. They're not only grappling with, you know, Trying to get themselves integrated into the into practice in the NHS. It's also that they're dealing with, you know, leaving family behind, um, trying to get integrated into the community. So many things going on for them at the same time. And I know that a lot of them have said to me, English was the last thing they thought they would have problems with. Because a lot of them assume that because they've done the English exams and they've <laughs> passed, that's it, they're fine. But then they, they land here and they find at home. Just like any other place in the world, we have accents, we have jargons, we have localisms, And I think Yorkshire, again, like I said, it's <laughs> peculiar. So in fact, I remember that when I came in, I could literally not hear what people were saying. It didn't sound to me like English. It yeah. sounded like something else. And I think the main thing is that colleagues need to understand that this can be very, very difficult. And like May said, the, the important bit is that oftentimes your ability to speak in a way that is acceptable to people means that, You're a good nurse. So it it is sort of used to judge your performance, your clinical performance, which is the worrying bit, actually.
0: And I guess what the research shows us as well is that people may often be asking a question to clarify language. But that is interpreted by colleagues as not knowing how to complete the task. Mm. And that, again, links to what you were saying around they're then perceived as incompetent. In the task, so yeah, that direct link between language and perceived competence, and then I guess how the impact that that has on a person's confidence to then go ahead and carry out the task yes. yeah, absolutely because then you start questioning
2: whether, mm. oh, I understood that, but I'm not allowed to clarify because if I do clarify, then they would think that I didn't understand it, yeah. But actually, as part of the safety net of nurses, mm. is that if you're actually not sure you're meant to ask. clarification and if you can't feel that you are uh, supported in a way that you're allowed to clarify things for safety reasons Mm. then that then makes you doubt your capacity it just snowballs from there and I think again you know if you talk differently from the people that are your peers you are put in a separate category.
0: And I guess that puts people in a really vulnerable situation Mm -hmm. to feel that you can't Ask a question to clarify the language because you're going to be perceived as incompetent. Mm. So so then what do you do? Yeah. And I guess it's, it's a really difficult position mm. because you want people to know that you're a fully competent practitioner. Mm. And we know that internationally educated colleagues are extremely competent and extremely skilled. And also extremely proficient Mm. in English because the IELTS exam is or the OET are really difficult exams (laughs) and and we know that English native speakers have taken these exams and failed because they're so difficult.
2: Yeah Yeah. and and I think as well you know when you come in the country and you're very confident and you've studied English and all throughout your university years you've managed to you know excel or, or pass your nursing curriculum and then all of a sudden you can't understand them. So I think it's going to be really useful for our international nurses to be aware of, you know, all the other cultural things that we need to be aware of, especially if, say, for example, in Yorkshire, they're not, they don't have a London accent, they don't have a (laughs) Brummie accent, they don't have a Scottish accent. I've got a really good friend who's Glaswegian. Oh, I really couldn't understand her from the first few months. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't understand her. So I think in terms of belonging, I think it would be really useful to have a reciprocated orientation on both cultures. Mm-hmm. So for international nurses that are coming over from abroad, it would be really useful for them to kind of learn about the culture of that specific place that they're going into and then at least there's not going to be much of a shock. But also for people in the UK that are receiving them, it'd be really good to kind of know some of their specifics in terms of their their culture, their traditions and how they are as a people. Because I think at the end of the day, as nurses, as healthcare workers, we provide compassion to other people, but we need to be compassionate to our colleagues too.
0: Yeah, and we've spoken a lot about verbal language, but we also know that there's so much language that I mean, I'm moving my hands as I'm saying <laughs> as I'm saying this. <laughs> that isn't verbal, but there's different cultural practices in terms of that as well. Ife, I know that you've looked into this a lot in terms of the work that you do. What are those differences in nonverbal language that I guess can cause miscommunications across culture?
1: I always like to give the example of eye contact because it's one that has played out so many times for myself and for other people. In the UK... When you're talking to somebody, you should maintain eye contact to show that you respect them. You're listening to them. You're with them. And in fact, in some cases, to show that you are being honest and open and mm. honest. However, in some other cultures, people don't look people who are sort of um, in senior positions in their eyes. So it could be in terms of age mm. or, or position, hierarchy and all of that, because that, that shows that you're being sort of remorseful or you're being respectful or being sober. Now let's look at how that plays out. If somebody has come from a culture where not maintaining eye contact means you're respecting them, and you come into the UK and you continue to behave that same way—that's all you've. That's the way you you know how to you've known how to behave all your life, and you've been spoken to by you're you're having a, a chat with your manager, and then you're not looking at them, you're not maintaining eye contact at all. You then come across as being very rude, and this has actually happened on many occasions, and they become very serious issues because people then start to have a lot of problems in their clinical areas because of their non-verbal behaviour. It's things like even, you know, her gesticulations or touching people. I've had this before as well. We are an international nurse, comes from an area where people often do a bit of touching. Mm. And so when they're sort of with you, she, she, she goes and pats you on the back or touches you. And people found that actually very annoying and they didn't like that. Mm. And so it's about understanding <laughs> some of the, knowing that, we all come from different places and it's again about self-awareness. When we talk about self-awareness, it's being conscious of where our values and our beliefs come from. You knowing that then helps you to, you know, interact better with other people because then you're taking a curious stance, like we always say, when you're approaching issues with people. So self-awareness is very important and I think that, that that's the best way forward for us all.
0: Yeah, so I guess it's it's about understanding our own culture as much as it is about understanding other people's culture as well so that we can understand where our values and beliefs around communication have come from so that we can recognize that Actually, that's because I was brought up in the UK, but actually May or Efi might be using these hand movements or, or saying this word because they've grown up in a different culture. And mm. that is the cultural norm mm. to communicate. Mm. And so that we're not making assumptions, but we're understanding each other.
1: I also think, again, another important thing with that is the power of small talk. Mm. the environment where we walk we do a lot of small talk yeah. and if you are new and you are actually not familiar with what the small talk is about how do you navigate your interactions with people that can become a serious thing because people think you don't want to really interact or you're not you're not being you know receptive you're um, oh,
2: sociable You're
1: sociable But it's because you actually Don't want to embarrass yourself Because mm-hmm. you don't know What they're talking about Now these might be things Like people talking about What's happening on You know, Hemadale Or Coronation Street or The weather, <laughs> or the weather. Everybody's <laughs> familiar with it But you're not And those kind of things Can really make you feel Like an outlet You're just like Everybody gets it But I don't mm-hmm. And instead of Asking questions sometimes Again, it comes back To you don't want To embarrass yourself And we say to people Please ask questions, ask questions. And I've had nurses say to me, you guys tell us to ask questions. But then we ask and we get some very, very, you know, funny responses or very ash responses. And it's just I'm not doing that again. Mm. And so it's just understanding that when people are new, they're trying to test the waters, trying to understand the environment. How? Because every 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 environment has its own culture dynamics and all that, and you want to ensure that you're not doing something that is out of place.
0: Yeah, and I, and I guess what you're saying there is that actually, in order to make small talk in the first place, well, one, it's not it's not necessarily part of everyone's culture, but two, you mm. need reference points to yes. be able to make small yes. talk, and yes. if you don't have those reference points, because you don't know what Emma Dale is, mm. or actually you don't know or understand why people are always talking about the weather, mm. then then it can make it very difficult. And I know that you're doing some work with OET, May. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes. So I'm actually working with Occupational English Test about preparing our future healthcare workforce from the Philippines going to the UK. So one of the things, like when I say to them, watch BBC, <laughs> not necessarily Emmerdale, but, you know, watch the local news, the local stories, they read the newspapers, It
0: gets you then to the rhythm. So it's about making sure that that support Mm -hmm. with language and understanding the the cultural differences in what you might think English is to what English is in the UK, making sure that that support starts right from before anyone's even moved to the UK so that it's not a shock on arrival.
2: They said that if you start dreaming in in English, that's when you've fully captured the language. (laughs) Not with Yorkshire accent though. (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the kind of the project that I've been doing with the um, student nurses back home, and also the nurses in preparation for them coming over.
0: One thing that we also haven't touched on, perhaps, is that in the UK, people often don't say what they mean. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> <So, laughs> beating the bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so is it, not only is it getting used to the dialect, getting used to the. the environment the the non-verbal language but also navigating your way through a language where people are saying one thing Mm -hmm. but their body and everything else might be telling you a different message what's that like (laughs) it's really (laughs) odd because i'm because
2: also you know i'm really not good at the reading between the lines kind of thing Mm -hmm. like you said oh i'm saying yes but my body goes no i i get confused yeah. So then I would ask, what do you really mean? Because for me, as far as I'm concerned, if it's a patient that says, if I ask a patient go, oh, are you in pain? And they go, no, but you see them grimacing. Then that for me is a, a red flag. That's mm-hmm. you know something that will worry me. And I always ask, no, honestly, just be honest with me. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what nursing is. Mm-hmm. You serve, you make people better, you give what they need at that time. It's
1: also that sometimes, you know, <laughs> British people, actually say the words but they mean something else so for example maybe hi and somebody we're having a conversation about something that's happened and the person says well I'm sure it's my fault then before I came to the UK and sort of understood you know how sometimes they can be sarcastic you know in a mm-hmm. very in a very funny way yeah. um, I would have taken that at face value like literally taking that mm-hmm. as oh, the person is accepting it's their fault but no they're saying well it's not my fault it's your fault <laughs> But then then the way they say it is, well, I guess it's my fault then. And people who are not British they don't understand the nuances of that. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me, it's not even only about the non-verbal. It's also about even the verbal at times, because I think it, it's also part of the culture. The British try to be as respectful and diplomatic, so they don't say things in a straightforward way, in the bid to be diplomatic, to be, to be nice. They don't, they don't like saying things like in a very harsh way. And that's what I've noticed. But if people have come from places where they use direct communication, yeah, it then becomes a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, in so, the UK, yeah. it all lies in the subtleties and in yeah. the nuances and the, of the yeah. way how someone says it, mm. and that takes a lot of understanding and picking apart to really mm. get to the bottom of what someone means. Mm. So, we've talked about verbal language, we've talked about tone, we've talked about non-verbal language, but we've not touched on written language. and What are the challenges as an international colleague with written communication, whether That's in job applications, or whether that's in patient notes. May is there anything that you've you've come across with this? Yeah, it's widely known
2: anyway, and it's research based that if you're an internationally educated nurse and if you do applications, you don't normally get shortlisted because of the way that you write your application. Because we have got different ways of doing it. Because the way Mm. that we were taught back home is different from here. So now you have got a grasp of the English language, but then the way that they prefer is different. For example, nurses from India, they would say, please do the needful at the end of their of their application or their letter to you. But in here they go, what do you mean about that? People don't get it. You get then subjected to, I suppose, a lesser point. So then you don't get through. It's widely known that if you're not quite the British way of, of writing, then you don't get through to the next one and you don't get through to the, to the shortlisting and then you don't, improve, you don't get promoted.
0: So May's just spoken about not being able to progress in your career because of challenges around communication. Ify, what do you think that we could do or should do to help in that aspect of communication?
1: As part of my role, I do a lot of career clinics with international nurses. And what I've found, just like May has said, is the fact that a lot of people come from maybe places where progression is very much linear. And what I mean is that I know some places where, for example, where I come from, there are particular times during your career where you'll be shortlisted as a group. Maybe you've sort of graduated at the same time, you've become registered nurses at the same time. You come to a time pot; you're all going to go through interviews. So you don't really have to take ownership of your own development, like going to apply for a job. And so first thing is they're not intentional about actually going to think of having a personal development plan, knowing what their own what their own strength, weaknesses, opportunities and threats are. You know, doing all that work to know where you are and where you want to be. That's the first thing. The second thing is the way the applications are awarded, the way you write a supporting statement. People people are able to talk about what they've done. But often oftentimes what's wanted in applications is how do you evidence that you've done it? How do you demonstrate that you have done this? You have significant experience. People don't sell themselves no. se- selves enough. Because, again, sometimes people say, I don't want to be blowing my own trumpet. Yes. But, but here you have to blow your own trumpet actually yes. in a nice way. So, what what we have done in our trust, for example, is we've started to do career clinics. And then when if people want feedback, so we actually have sat with so many people and then we go through it and we start saying, look, this is what you need to be doing here. And that is how we can help people. It's not because they are not competent nurses. In all honesty, nurses who come here are some of the best from all over the world, believe it or not. Because for them to be able to go through those stages to get here, it's a lot of work. And you have to be really good to be able to sort of navigate that that process.
0: Yeah. And and for someone who maybe has trained in the UK and and grown up looking at those kind of applications, they that's second nature, but it's mm. not to international colleagues. Right. So it's about teaching them. And I guess the career clinics that you support help bridge that gap to make sure that there's equity in the availability to get shortlisted for a job. And I know that many organisations are also having cultural ambassadors on interview panels, again, mm. to ensure that there is that equity in, in people's opportunities. Thank you very much indeed to May and Ify. A huge amount in there for all of us to think about. Thank you. Thank you
1: for having us, Katie.
0: And that's it for this edition of the Stay and Thrive podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and found it useful. We have lots more episodes with lots more useful information. Just search for Stay and Thrive wherever you get your podcasts and click follow and you'll find all of our episodes right there. And do tell people about the podcast. The more ears we reach, the more help we can be to international colleagues, their teams and managers. Plus, this podcast is for you and we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with questions, comments, stories of your own experiences or if you have any suggestions about how we can make sure people stay and thrive. There are several ways you can do it. On Twitter, or rather X, we're at Stay and Thrive. Or you can use the hashtag Stay and Thrive. Our email is england.stayandthriveir at nhs.net. And for more information about Stay and Thrive, visit our futures page at future.nhs.uk forward slash N-E-Y international retention. If you haven't got anywhere to note those down, we'll put all those details in the show notes. I'm Kate McDonald, till next time, goodbye.